0: Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash audioboom.
1: Turns out my favorite cartoon villain was based on a man who was actually way creepier than the cartoon itself. Mm -hmm. He was one of the most mysterious men to ever roam the streets of Russia. I mean, there were even rumors that this guy could communicate telepathically with animals even that he had magical healing powers and that he couldn't be killed. Some even say he's responsible for the collapse of the Russian monarchy. Give it up for Rasputin, that song you're all dancing to on TikTok. Paul, you look just like him, you scary ass Rasputin. I know, I know. I didn't even know this guy was real either. I thought it was just a cartoon and then a little funky dance on TikTok. Nay, nay, I was wrong. Hi, friends. I hope you're having a wonderful day today. My name is Bailey Sarian, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Dark History. Here, we believe history, you know, it doesn't have to be boring. Um, yes, it's usually tragic. I mean, it might be happy, but either way, it's our dark history. So, all you have to do is sit back, relax, and let's talk about that hot, juicy history goss. Now, if you know me, if you know anything about me, You know that I love, I'm really interested in Russian history and most of all, Russian literature. I know, who am I? I don't know, you guys. The end, thank you for coming to this episode. I'm kidding, but after our Stalin episode, you guys, I read the comments and you were thirsty. You were thirsty, dehydrated, wanting more Russian Revolution tea. And since one of my favorite movies as a child was Anastasia, I was really curious about the real Rasputin, you know, the man with the beard and also the talking bat. I wanted to know more. Maybe they had that in Russia, I don't know. I need to find out. And look, if you're like me, maybe you thought, okay, it's a cartoon, they're exaggerating. It wasn't like this, right? In the cartoon, he had that bat who sang. Uh, He had some ghosts he would keep in the little test tube. Weird, but... Let me tell you, the real story is even more weird. History is just like the gift that keeps on giving because you're in for a show. Today's episode is good. (laughs) Okay, look, I may have to be annoying and take this off, but my head is just pounding. Thank you for understanding. Now back to the story. So let's start here. Close your eyes and place yourself in late 1800s Russia, specifically Siberia, okay? First of all, You're cold as fuck. Siberia is part of Russia, if you didn't know, and is one of the most remote places in the world. At the time, it had just been miles and miles of barren land. For a long time, there were no connecting roads to other countries. So unless you lived there, nobody was passing through Siberia just for funsies. Except for the wind. (laughs) Because of all that, Siberia was considered a dumping ground for anything Russia didn't want to deal with. As a refresher from our Stalin episode, you'll remember Stalin himself was sentenced to exile in Siberia like one too many times, uh, expecting him to die, but that beast somehow powered through. Well, that's what the Russian government would do with anyone that they considered a dangerous leader, a religious extremist, or anyone they didn't think was good for society. Siberia was essentially the Russian Wild West, the perfect place for an evil origin story. (laughs) Grigory Rasputin was born in Western Siberia on January 21st, 1869, in the dead of winter. But we're just going to call him Rasputin because he's an Aquarius. So his parents, just like most of Russia at the time, were humble farmers and considered peasants. They never got the opportunity to go to school or learn to read. Their life was essentially to work, go to church and like reproduce. Like other peasants, they struggled to survive in Siberia. As a child, Rasputin was known as a troublemaker. I mean, he was always getting to some kind of trouble with authorities for stealing and causing trouble with other kids in his village. He was just another rascal. Until one day, poor little eight-year-old Rasputin caught Pneumonia. First of all, why did they put that P in front of pneumonia? Does anybody know? No. Okay. And honestly, it was touch and go for a while. Like his family didn't know if he was even gonna survive. (laughs) Whoops, not whoops, but like sad. Rasputin was really out of it and seemed to be having these really intense fever dreams. I mean, there's shit, you know, there's nothing weirder than like those NyQuil dreams. ZZQuil, what was that about? How was that legal? I don't know. When Rasputin's fever finally broke and he woke up, girl, he looked like he saw some shit. He needed sunglasses ASAP. Eyes, definitely saw some shit. He described to the townspeople that these visions he was getting were super intense and they were from the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Virgin Mary. He believed these visions meant he was given like some kind of special power. So everything Rasputin did from this moment on was defined by this encounter with the Virgin Mary. And Rasputin was also said to be getting visions from the Virgin Mary, like all of the time. She would not shut up. She was always talking to him. And then he would share these visions with people in his village. And apparently even as a kid, Rasputin had this freaky ability to calm down wild horses with just a single look or touch. It was like magic. It's funny we say that, only because I'm laughing because like my dad called me last night to talk about Seabiscuit. <laughs> and I just thought of this. I don't know, he told me Seabiscuit was a really good movie and that I need, needed to watch it. This is the second time he's done this. Back to Rasputin and Wild Horses, sorry. And Rasputin was also said to have something called the second sight, which essentially means he was able to see the future. He was apparently able to predict the weather, see wars that were coming, and even foresee the deaths of some people he encountered. Yeah, that's so Raven of him. Now, because all of this, Rasputin had a reputation growing up. Some people thought like he was holy and had a divine gift. Other people thought he had the devil inside of him. It was one or the other. For example, Rasputin's parents were terrified of his gifts, which is enough to uh, really screw up your kid, you know? But spooky. And look, most of Rasputin's childhood and early adulthood are described as a, quote, black hole when it comes to the facts. A lot of these stories are said to be rumors, while others are said to be absolutely 100% true. But it's like, they can't all be true, right? And Rasputin was so mysterious that it's hard to find records of this time in his life. So these are like the most popular stories surrounding him. He was always drinking, stealing horses, and causing chaos within the village. I mean, he was always in trouble with the law at some point. By the time he was 15, Rasputin had already been to jail several times. I know, uh, teenagers and he was said to have just a rude attitude about him. Like he felt better than anyone else and like, you know, the laws didn't apply to him. He's got the Virgin Mary on his side, laws don't apply. But then something happened that like changed Rasputin forever. See, as a young man into his teenage years, Rasputin suffered from bedwetting And it was really ruining his life. Well, one day he prays to make this problem go away. He's like, please, Dutchie, I'll do anything. And guess what? The Lord hears him. And his whole life is about to change.
0: Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash audioboom. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
1: Okay, so bedwetting, he's praying to the Lord. After praying and praying, one day it stops. Out of the blue. Boof. Well, yeah, because he grows up usually once they hit pu- puberty, that's when the bedwetting stops. Has something to do with the hormones, but look, this turns his whole life around because no longer is he a bedwetter. Thank god, right? Not being a bedwetter completely changes his personality. Rasputin, the guy who loved to drink and get blacked out, suddenly he was too good, he didn't want to drink or even touch wine or beer. He stopped sealing, great, and then on top of that. He falls in love. In 1886, at the age of 18, Rasputin meets a woman named Prascovia. Prascovia was 21 years old. And the funniest part of all, at 21 years old, she was considered a spinster. Yeah, she was considered a spinster because she was like a peasant girl. And usually they're married off when they're teenagers. So the fact that she was a peasant girl and the fact that she was not married, spinster. Other than that, not much is known about her. But unlike Rasputin, she had a really good reputation. She was known as kind, loyal, and submissive. And when she got the proposal from Rasputin, she was probably just happy to have the security of marriage. So the two of them get married and move in with his parents. Ugh, fun. That's what you did back then, you know? He ended up having a shit ton of kids with Proskovia, but only three ended up living to adulthood. So throughout his life, he continued having these visions, these these, uh, mysterious powers, but his personal life was always such a hot mess. So when Rasputin is about 28 years old, at this point, he's six foot, four inches tall, slender man with these huge, broad shoulders. And according to historians, he was known for being extremely strong physically. Uh. I know he sounds kind of hot, but then when you see a picture of him, you're like, oh my God, what the? No offense. It's just you were ugly. Um, anyways, so he would have long greasy hair that probably stunk. And I'm not being shady because he was, uh, he did look at a picture of him. You could smell him through the picture. And he was like most known for his piercing blue eyes. I guess they were known as being just really intense and many people believe that they, like he had some kind of hypnotic powers within these eyes. Something to keep in mind, but also when you look at the eyes, he looks like a psychopath. Looks like he's gonna murder you. <laughs> at 28, Rasputin got in trouble once again for stealing from a neighbor. It must've been something so bad because he decided to essentially dip out of the village he was living in completely. He just like upped and abandoned his family for a while. And he went on to have a little solo adventure, a little eat, pray, love moment for himself. According to his own writing, he was ready for change. And he said, quote, I had many sorrows too. Whatever mistake was made somewhere, I was blamed, although I was not involved. Workmen mocked me. I plowed hard and slept little, and I kept asking my heart how to find some way to be saved." So his first stop is a monastery that's not too far from where he was living. And there he sees some very intense and very structured religious life. And this really appeals to Rasputin. He loves this intense lifestyle, you know? The obsessive devotion to something. So Rasputin decides to really commit to the holy life in the Orthodox Church of this monastery for several months. And he becomes obsessed. He loves the rituals. He loves the commitment. He's like here for it. He's like, yes, I'm living, I'm laughing, I'm loving. He really just loves testing himself. And while he's there, he learns how to read and write, which is major for him. He even seemed to thrive when there's a schedule in place. He also meets a lot of interesting people known as wanderers. These are people of different religious beliefs who wander Russia looking for spiritual meaning, sleeping on the ground, avoiding any kind of attachment to physical things. It's very Buddhist. Around this time, Rasputin is ready for a change again. And this is when he meets a man named Makari. Makari was just like Rasputin. He came from an impoverished village. He was a peasant. Plus word on the street was that he was a spiritual advisor to the Russian royals at the time. Yeah, so he's kind of like a big deal. But most importantly, he was an example of someone who decided to do something big with his life. So he doesn't end up like everyone else. So Rasputin learns a lot from Makari. He becomes a student of his for a while, but he was starting to get like real sick of those monks he was living with. I guess they were annoying. Remember Rasputin like really hated authority and being told what to do. So as much as he loved the whole vibe, he wasn't gonna be bossed around by anyone. It was time for him to be the boss. So it's at this point that Rasputin decides to become one of those wanderers and just do his own thing. So he sort of just like, wanders, like walks, all around Russia, just like testing his limits, living off the land, sleeping on the ground and learning from God. And Rasputin didn't have any money or anything. He didn't have like a trust fund to fall back on. He was literally just a nobody. And wanderers like Rasputin would just depend on the charity of churches and monasteries they passed and any other wanderers they came across on his journey. It's even been said that his trips took him as far as Greece, which is almost like 4,000 miles away. I mean, what's he doing? Why is he walking 4,000 miles? But the whole point of this journey for Rasputin at least was just to test himself. It was said that Rasputin would purposely not bathe for months at a time. He would starve himself, basically only eating enough to stay alive, essentially figuring out the limits of his physical body, believing that the struggle of it all was bringing him closer to God. I mean, it got pretty extreme. He shackled metal chains to his ankles, you know, so they could act like ankle weights. And then plus it would make it really, really hard to walk, but he must've had some sick calves. Right? That's what I thought. Okay, so there's also this wild story out there about something that happened on his journey. So I guess he would stand in marshes, you know, like those wet, grassy, almost swamp-like areas. And he would just stand there and he would stretch out his bare arms. He would do this, I guess, to let the mosquitoes go to town on him and just bite him up, just, drinking up his blood for like hours and hours. Rasputin would also test himself sexually. (laughs) He would do this by quote, not touching his body for months at a time. Hmm, okay, sure buddy. There was a period of time on his journey where he was basically refusing himself every pleasure or nice thing you could think of. He wore some rag-like clothing for years He was just on a journey for the truth, just trying to find himself, I guess, like a gap year on a really low budget. By now, Rasputin is, we could say, a pretty centric guy, but he's about to take it up a notch because this is when he meets the Clisties. Mm. Now, if you had any type of like unusual religion or were any kind of social rebel, you were cast out into Siberia, remember? And you would usually come across people like Rasputin, who were like on their own wandering journey. But the Clistys, girl, they were different.
0: Selling a little, or a lot, <laughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first realized store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.
2: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need.
1: First of all, the Clistis were known as an anti-church religious sect. They were actually considered outlaws of the Orthodox Church. And instead of meeting at like a church, they would meet in underground crypts. and hard gore. And they didn't believe in having priests. Instead, they had self-appointed leaders and they had their very own type of religion. A, shall we say, interesting take on Orthodox religion. It honestly gives more cult, but, I don't know if cult was invented yet. So maybe they were the ones who actually invented cults. This might be the first cult. I don't know. The Clisties were known for absolutely wild gatherings. It was not your typical youth group. Mm -mm, You know, the Clisties would pray for hours and hours. And then they would start to dance around and kind of hype themselves up, get real Tammy Faye Baker with it. And then things would like just take a turn. They would start turning in circles over and over and over again until they got so dizzy they would fall over. And they would repeat this again and again because it would make them feel drunk. And this actually had a name. (laughs) Doing this spinning act was called spiritual beer because they were drunk on the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And then the real fun would start. So after you've done the praying and the dancing, Spiritual beer exercise, that's when it was time for the orgy. Of course. Duh. Apparently, the members of this church would rip off their clothes and just start going to town on each other in that crypt. Hot. But it must have been so stinky because these people did not shower. <laughs> they would do this on purpose because to them, committing a carnal sin, like a huge ass orgy, would be such a bad sin that the repentance process would be really intense. And repenting that hard would bring you closer to God. They're like, I'm only doing this for God. Don't judge me. Uh." The practice was called sinning to drive out sin. Like extreme sin would make you extremely close to God. So Rasputin probably loved this concept because it was like truly embodied who he was. It was naughty. It was an anti-leadership. It broke all of the rules. Honestly, it was a feral behavior. But at the end of the day, you were still like a godly person afterwards. So he made this his core doctrine. It's believed that for the next two or three years, while Rasputin was on this wandering journey, he was practicing with the Clistes a lot. Um, I guess like all those orgies, they just weren't doing it for him. And at some point Rasputin like missed home. So he decided to pack up his things and head back to his village to see his loving wife and children. Because yeah, he was still married. She didn't need to know what he was up to though, you know? So when he got back to the village, everyone had noticed that something was different. Like he was not the same Rasputin that left. There was an intense darkness that was surrounding him and rumors that he had fallen in with the Clistes had reached his village. So people were talking. Everyone thought of the Clisties as like a dark, anti-church cult that was very into pagan rituals. And honestly, they weren't really wrong. His own daughter, Maria, grew up and wrote about his involvement with the Ecclistys, changed her father forever. She said that he definitely attended several ceremonies of theirs, and he was even caught preaching their doctrines a few times. Oh shit. And she wrote it all in a book. Not just one, but three different books. Just a little FYI, my birthday is in November, which is coming up here really soon. And I wouldn't mind those three books if you want to give me something, just let me know. Anyway, at this point Rasputin, uh, you know, he was really ready for his cult leader era. I mean, he had been preparing his whole life for this moment and he had what every cult leader needs, a signature look. Oh, and a creepy cave, even better. Raspy over here, he dug his own chapel out from under the stables at his family home. Yeah, he wanted to create like a spooky little meeting place. It's like weird, but okay. Uh, It was described as a dark cave. Not much else to comment on. And uh, this is where people would come from far and wide to see the mystical man who they'd met on their travels, Mr. Rasputin. The people in the village, they started talking, of course. They were like, what the hell is going on in that cave? Like, why is he building, he's the crazy neighbor. Why'd he build a cave? Now my property value is gonna go down because little Tootie over here is building a cave, you know, like what the hell? That was Rasputin. There were rumors of like weird rituals and seances flying around. And he was always seen surrounded by young women that he was allegedly having sex with. I mean, his old doctrine was based on an idea of sexual exhaustion. The more sexually exhausted you get, the closer to God. And it seemed like he was indeed taking that very seriously. And there are even stories out there that say just like the Clisty gatherings, Rasputin would preach to the crowd in his cave and then have sex with the congregation. Or an orgy, you could say. People used to hear these wild animal sounds coming from that cave church. Those who were non-believers of Rasputin's teachings just stayed away. You know, they were too scared. So basically Rasputin's got like a good thing going. And he does this for years. Just f- to everybody, you know? Attracting strangers, earning himself a wacky reputation, teaching people to be horny for God. Solid. But then his visions, they're back. And this time, they're even more intense. They're happening more often, and the messages he's getting from the Virgin Mary are much clearer. And this time, she's telling him, go to St. Petersburg. And he's like, what's in St. Petersburg? You know, and she's like, the royals. He's out, I'm the Virgin Mary. Rasputin is like, I'm gonna be just like that guy McCary. I'm gonna get the hell out of the village and get in with the royals. So in 1903, he packs his bags and he leaves his family again and makes his way to the big city. And Russia at the time was the perfect environment for Rasputin because first, um, at this time, society was very sexually open, which is weird to think, right? There were ads in the paper for cures to STDs and they put it all out there. So Rasputin's sexual reputation probably wasn't even a huge deal. And most importantly, Russia at the time was very into the occult, especially the wealthy and powerful. They had way too much time and money on their hands. They just got into whatever they wanted, you know? In St. Petersburg, they were into something called spiritual mysticism. Essentially, it means that you believe that some kind of higher power like God can take over a regular human's body and help them perform miracles. The royals themselves definitely believed in this. They're like, yeah, that's for sure legit. They loved some old fashioned seances. Ooh, the Ouija board. Ouija board night, yay. And they were big believers in mystical healing powers. Fun. Maybe. Now, Rasputin didn't just get to St. Petersburg and like walk straight into the palace. No, he spent months creating a mysterious and powerful reputation with the rich people of society. People believed Rasputin had some kind of mystical, unknown power to see into the future and heal people. He also just had a very uh, dirty appearance in general. It was said like numerous times that he would have pieces of food stuck in his long beard, a little flavor saver. And when he ate with the upper crust of society, he wasn't gonna pretend to have manners. According to journalist Nina Martinez, quote, he licked the spoon before using it to serve others, tore the bread and fish apart with his fingers and wiped them on the tablecloth, end quote. He didn't care if he was eating on the finest of China around the richest of people. He was marching to the beat of his own drum. He's a free spirit. And let's be honest, he got off on being nonconformist. So I guess Rasputin was known for treating everyone the same, which is like, he doesn't sound that bad. I mean, even to the point of it like being offensive though, royal or peasant, he would call you by your first name, you know, which is like kind of scary back then. Who's a daredevil. He didn't care about society ranks or like who had the most money or who was the most important. He was there to just f- and like get in with the rich people, you know? Oh no. And he was said to be very direct with people, just staring at them with those intense, spooky ass looking eyes, man. He looks like you don't want to go on a roller coaster and like, whoa. You know, the way we're talking about Rasputin here makes him sound not that bad. Anyone else? Okay. He was also well known for his hot political takes. I mean, normally that could get you killed or banned from high society, but again, he didn't give a He was just a shock jock. And the people couldn't get enough. I mean, he was said to have a long line of women wanting to be with him. I know, at first I was like, am I looking at the same picture of, am I looking at the Rasputin that everyone's talking about? Because this man does not look, what? He's so gross looking. I'm sorry, that's really rude. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I mean, his female fans would kiss his dirty freshly licked fingers at the dinner table. They would fight over like who would get to eat his leftovers. It is a lot. Pretty soon, people just stopped calling him Rasputin. They started calling him the saint.
0: Ah.
1: Now, just to paint the picture about what it was like in St. Petersburg at this time, let's talk about who's in power. For hundreds and hundreds of years before Rasputin was even born, Russia had been ruled monarchy style by a czar. Now, this is essentially a king. And ever since 1613, the czar of Russia had come from one family. That family is called the Romanov family. And the Romanovs were, they were it, bitch. They were the fucking shit. Like they were in charge of Russia, which is huge. I mean, the largest country in the world. Hello. And by the time Rasputin makes his way to the big city, they literally already been in power for 300 years. But little did everyone know that one horny little dirtbag was about to rock their world and change everything.
0: Selling a little or a lot Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.
2: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need.
1: Hello, Fresh, America's number one meal kit. So, it's the year 1894, and 26 year old Nicholas II is on the Russian throne, being a czar, you know, just popping his, popping his pussy like that, eh, whatever. His wife, AKA the czarina, is a German princess named Alexandra. Fun fact she's also, she's actually Queen Victoria's granddaughter. Yeah, I know, small world, it's fucking creepy. Everything's inbred. Anyway, Nicholas and Alexandra, they start to feel some pressure because they have four daughters, but no sons. This is not a good luck at all, because at this time, the only way to ensure the Romanov legacy would continue was to have an official heir, a son. Cause girls ain't shit, they don't count, get out of here. I guess every time Alexandra got pregnant, this would be like, yes, this is it. I feel like this one's gonna be a boy. It's gonna have a penis. And then like, whoops, it wasn't. And apparently every time Alexandra had a daughter, her anxiety was just getting worse and worse. She ends up seeking medical help uh, because she just can't like handle the pressure that is on her and her husband. It's too much. But finally, on August 12th, 1904, Nicholas and Alexandra have a son, Alexei Romanov. I know, I know, that's not the right song, but it's the only one I know. So, Tsarina Alexandra gives birth to a boy. The crowd is going wild. Everyone's relieved, thank God. Russia had a guaranteed legacy at this point. But then, the Tsar and Zarina discover that their son, Alexei, had a rare condition called hemophilia which means that his blood couldn't clot. So basically if you get a paper cut, you could bleed out and like not a great thing, right? For anyone to have, but especially not for the Prince of Russia who everyone is counting on to lead the fricking country one day. Hello? Now Alexandra in particular was devastated because it turns out this condition came from her side of the family. So everyone's like, "Mm mm-hmm. It also killed her uncle her nephew, and even her own brother. So shit, doesn't really sound that promising for him. And she really felt like this condition was a death sentence for her son. I mean, it pretty much was. Nicholas and Alexandra privately consult with doctors to see what they can do, but none of them can do anything to help baby Alexei. At this point, the family wants some privacy from the public So they end up like picking up and moving to the country. (laughs) So random. But they like want to keep their baby Alexei out of the spotlight. Alexandra is worried. She's super worried about him. And it reaches to the point where she stops trusting medical professionals because honestly, they can't they they can't do anything. They can't fix them. So this is when she leans more into seeking a spiritual relationship, or maybe even like spiritual guidance from somebody. So Nicholas and Alexandra start summoning healers to the palace to see what they can do for baby Alexei. And um, they're going through all these different people. And then eventually, guess what? The final one that they have to go through is Rasputin. Rasputin is first introduced to the Russian court by members of the church and the upper class. Like these people wanted the czar to have some advisors who were down to earth holy men salt to the earth types, you know? Because of Rasputin's background, he was perfect for this. On November 1st, 1905, there's all this talk about a Russian revolution in the air and the royals are getting pretty nervous that they're gonna probably like lose their power. So Rasputin is summoned to the Royal Palace for a casual three hour long chat with the Tsar and the Tsarina of Russia. Oh, and this was like his big break moment. Oh yeah. Mm hmm. Nicholas even wrote about it in his diary. <laughs> he said, quote, Tuesday, a cold, windy day. The water has frozen in patches from the shore to the end of our canal, was occupied all morning, went for a walk. We made the acquaintance of a man named Gregory." end quote. I'm imagining that's how he talks. If he talked in English, I mean, can we take a second to acknowledge how insane this is? I mean, in the course of a year, Rasputin went from the absolute bottom of society, traveling around Russia barefoot, wearing the same shirt for a year at a time, sleeping on the ground, to giving advice to the king and queen of Russia. It's kind of motivational, huh? We don't know like what, exactly what Rasputin and Tsar Nicholas talked about for those three hours when they first met, but one thing about Rasputin, it was said that he was able to read people extremely well he had this incredible intuition to understand the person he was talking to within minutes of meeting them. And he was able to emotionally manipulate them with like barely any effort. But people, they didn't see this. They interpreted his charms as him being psychic or as they would say mystical. So after this meeting with the Tsar, he told a friend of his named Theophon how it went. And according to Feelfun, Rasputin told him that the Tsarina, Alexandra, had, quote, fallen under his influence that very first evening, end quote. But it would take longer to win over the Tsar. Rasputin knew he had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get in with the royal family. So four days after meeting them, Rasputin sent Nicholas a letter, which is like super polite, right? Great Emperor Tsar, and autocrat of all Russia greetings to you. Rasputin goes on to give the Tsar some advice, saying, quote, may God give you sage advice. All of Russia worries. She has descended into a terrible argument. She trembles in joy and rings her bells calling for God. Now this is wild because it shows like right away after only meeting the czar once, Rasputin felt comfortable giving him advice about how to run the country and telling him about like, what Russia wanted from him. Now, obviously they couldn't tell Rasputin about their son's condition right away. I mean, the secret of Alexei's condition was a matter of national security. It was top secret because as one Russian scholar said, quote, Alexei was routinely on the brink of death as even minor bruises could result in unstoppable blood loss and hemorrhaging, end quote. Ooh, that's scary. Nicholas and his advisors believe that if Alexei's hemophilia became public knowledge, it could destabilize the whole country. Like people would realize just how fragile the monarchy was and the whole thing could probably crumble and they didn't want that. What we do know is that at some point, Nicholas and Alexandra let Rasputin in on their secret. And to everyone's surprise, Rasputin did what the best doctors in Russia couldn't do. He stopped Alexei's bleeding. (gasps) You might be wondering, wait a second, he stopped the bleeding? Maybe it's magical. Well, here's the thing. During this time period in 1904, science didn't know squatterly shit about hemophilia. And unfortunately, something that doctors did think was helpful was giving them aspirin. I guess because it did help with the pain, but aspirin is a blood thinner so it was actually one of like the worst things you could give to anyone with hemophilia because it can lead to even more blood being lost from a small injury. And once Rasputin was brought on as Alexei's healer, he didn't let him take aspirin. So his magical powers that cured Alexei could literally just have been not giving him aspirin. Either way, Alexandra was over the freaking moon. She was like, oh my God, this is the shit. Just like that. Oh my God, Maybe we saved. Yay. She didn't just like see Rasputin as a healer, but as her son's savior. I mean, naturally Rasputin becomes one of her favorite people and closest confidants. But the thing is, most of Russia didn't know that Rasputin actually saved like baby Alexei's life. And when they looked at it from afar, you know, seeing Rasputin randomly with the family, it was just like a really odd look. So rumors started to spread naturally that like an affair was happening between Rasputin and Alexandra. Mm-hmm. They're like, ooh, they f-ing. I mean, by this point, Rasputin had been living at, at court for about a decade, and he and the Tsarina were obviously extremely close. And then when World War One starts in 1914, this rumor only gets worse because the Tsar, Alexandra's husband, leaves to go fight on the front lines. So, the Russian people are like, oh, they are for sure f- you know, cause there wasn't anyone around. That's what everyone's saying. Postcards start to circulate that show like graphic little cartoons of the Tsarina and Rasputin doing like some wild kinky shit. All of this might sound like National Enquirer gossip magazine shit, but I mean, it is, but it actually had like a really huge impact on Russia. They took this shit like, you know, very serious. And ever since the Tsar and his family had moved away from the city to like try to get out of the limelight, they had completely like lost touch with their people. 99% of Russians had no idea that Alexei was sick. So they just kind of saw the Tsar and Tsarina as snobby rich people who were out of touch, which wasn't wrong, but they didn't wanna hear it. So that's why they moved. And after Germany declared war on Russia in World War I, most Russians, hated the Germans. And unfortunately, Zarina Alexandra was a German princess. Hmm, sad. Even though she was essentially their queen, they didn't trust her. And the cherry on the cake was Rasputin. Who the hell was this woo woo peasant who had wormed his way, who has f-ed his way to the top, all the way to the palace? What was going on between he and Alexandra while Tsar Nicholas was away? The people had questions to the outside the monarchy they just
0: selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage shopify's there to help you grow Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered.
1: Because of this drama with Rasputin, people started to doubt whether the czar system was actually still working or whether it was kind of like outdated. Was the family still up for the job? They don't know. I'm not going to get into like the whole politics of it all because we did cover some of the Russian revolution in our Stalin episode, but also it's just a lot, you know, that's a long story, but long story short, a revolution is a brewing. And the Tsar is like super busy fighting in World War One, that he doesn't even notice. And the Zarina is too busy taking care of baby Alexei and having tea with Rasputin. She's too busy sucking his titty that she doesn't even care either. And anyone who's anyone knows if the Tsar and Zarina need to make a decision, they're gonna run it by Rasputin. He was giving advice on everything related to the government. And it started to piss a lot of people off who had spent some serious time and money to get the attention of the Tsar and Tsarina themselves. They're so like, how this guy? everyone's jealous, everyone's mad, everyone's pissed. Meanwhile, Rasputin had a pretty bad reputation outside the palace for basically being a sex offender. Yeah, so pretty legit reason. I mean, remember that whole like, uh, you need to be sexually exhausted to find God. Well, it seems like he talked the talk and he also like walked the walk, but not always consensually, allegedly. And according to urban legend, this made him many, many enemies and these enemies would ultimately cost him his life. I mean, good though. Like if he rapes people, then fuck you. (laughs) One woman tried to kill Rasputin, allegedly, to get back at him for assaulting her. In 1914, Keonia Gaseva, uh, she was working as a sex worker. I guess she had like straight up attacked Rasputin. She stabbed him in the gut with a dagger, mm-hmm, as one does. I wouldn't say that they saw Rasputin's guts fall out of his stomach while Keona shouted, quote, I've killed the Antichrist. I mean, she thought she killed him. I mean, Rasputin thought she killed him. Everyone thought he was dead. But somehow, just like, I don't know, like a zombie, he just, like, got up and recovered. I think this must be where the rumors that Rasputin was immortal come from. Because who survives their guts falling out of their their body? Oh, my God. Even in the cartoon Anastasia, there's a scene where, like, his guts fall out. Ew, that movie's so gross and accurate. Wow. So... Rasputin is like this unkillable demon. And most of this legend actually comes from the second assassination attempt that Rasputin faced. I'm gonna go home and watch Anastasia and probably like cry because he was so scary. Rasputin in that movie was so scary. His skin melted off and stuff. Come on. And it was all real. (laughs) Fuck. According to urban legend, a man named Yusupov tried to kill Rasputin in 1916. The story goes that Yusupov invited Rasputin to his palace for dinner and like served him a platter of cakes and wine. All of it was apparently laced with poison, like cyanide to be specific. So Rasputin comes over and according to Yusupov's m- memoirs, he starts gorging himself on the poisoned food. But then like some time goes by, tick tock baby, nothing happens. And Yusubov is like, holy shit. He must be like Batman or something. Like you can't kill this guy. This guy is unkillable. I mean, he's eaten enough poison to kill like 20 men by this point. What the hell? So off decides to like take matters into his own hands. He instead grabs a gun. <laughs> I know, he's like, you know what? Fuck it, I'll just grab a gun. And he starts just firing it off. He's like, Bing, bang, bang, bang and like the smoke clears and Rasputin still standing, unaffected, unbothered. Yusubov just can't shoot a gun, I think. But in his book, Yusubov wrote, quote, this devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart, must have been raised from the dead by the powers of evil. There was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die, end quote. Yeah, that's pretty dark. Yusupov was certain that Rasputin had done some like dark magic to become immortal. But unfortunately Rasputin did die. I would say fortunately Rasputin did die, I guess. Someone finally got to him. Although like nobody knows who it was. We do know that Yusupov and a group of Russian noblemen came up with a plan to finally get rid of Rasputin. And on December 30th, 1916, a group of Russian noblemen, most likely including Yusupov, shot Rasputin in the head at close range in the Yusupov's palace grounds. See, the elites of Russian society hated the fact that this peasant who had come from nothing had become such an important figure to the Tsar and Tsarina. I mean, they resented him. And they saw him as a part of the reason that Russian people stopped trusting the monarchy. So he had to be stopped. And like, they weren't exactly entirely fully wrong. I mean, not too long after Rasputin's death, a story came out. Even though he lived in St. Petersburg, people said that Rasputin had basically an open invitation to the palace because he made the Tsar and Tsarina feel confident that a revolution was not going to happen. Oops. It was said that he convinced Tsar Nicholas not to flee the country back in 1905, right before things got violent. He apparently told the Tsar that he had a vision that all would be well in the end and that Nichols and his family didn't need to like fear for their lives. He's like, you guys are totally fine, you're chill. Just like hang out, no biggie. Turn on some television, whatever. But spoiler alert, yeah, he was actually really wrong. In reality, by the time Rasputin died, the monarchy's reputation was completely in the toilet. And by 1917, Tsar Nicholas was essentially forced to abdicate, aka give up the throne. And he and his family were kept as prisoners for years. All the Romanovs who could manage to get the frick out of the country fled, which Nicholas and Alexandra might have done if, like, Rasputin hadn't made them feel. Safe and secure, I guess. But sadly, Nicholas and Alexandra and their kids, they were not lucky. All of them were rounded up and killed by a firing squad. And the leaders of the Russian Revolution buried their bodies in unmarked graves. And Nicholas would be the last czar Russia ever had. That's dramatic. Rasputin's body was buried at a small church in Russia. But during the Russian Revolution, his body was actually burnt to stop people from using his gravesite as a meeting place or like a place to rally. Looking back, I mean, there are a couple different schools of thought. Some people believe Rasputin was kind of a sacrificial lamb who like took the hit for the shift of power brewing during the uh, early Russian Revolution that his death was basically a lesson for any peasants or lower class people who hoped to rise up the ranks of society. They're like, no, this was what will happen to you. Other people think Rasputin knew exactly what he was doing when he told the Tsar and Tsarina not to worry about the revolution, that he was actually intentionally bringing about the end of the royal reign, which kind of like makes sense because his whole life he believed everyone should be equal and he refused to give anyone special treatment. Rasputin's daughter, her name is Maria, she actually managed to get out of Russia. She would actually go on to become a lion tamer. You know, no biggie, just a casual job. Um, and it was said that she inherited her father's special ability to communicate with animals and calm them down with those infamous Rasputin eyes that looked so scary. Yeah, hot. She even went on to write a book about her dad. And this book is actually where we get most of our information about Rasputin. The man, the myth, the legend. And here's another fun part. After Rasputin's daughter moved to Paris to do work in the circus, she ran into a group of women, kind of like a fan club. They were obsessed with her dad, and they worshipped his penis. They're like, oh my God, we love your dad's dick. Uh. Apparently after um, Rasputin was killed, you soup off, cut off Rasputin's penis. Yes. And then he put it like in a jar or something and he sold it for $8,000. Good for him. And he was literally worshiped years after Rasputin's death. Yeah, he's the dick guy. I know you're wondering, cause I was wondering the same thing. Does the penis still exist? Yes, it does. It's on display in the Museum of Erotica in St. Petersburg. Some people believe it's actually like a cow's penis because, I don't know, maybe because it's 13 inches, but I'll let you decide. So if you go there, um, take a picture and let me know, like send it to me, because I'll probably never get to see it. Like I can't fly out there just to see Rasputin's dick. Well, maybe, but send me a bit. Look, this guy reminds me of Keith Raniere. Did you guys watch that, The Vowel? <sniffs> Shit. This is Keith Raniere. He was having sex with everyone and he's stunk with the long hair, ugh. Well, thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be concluding our spooky season episodes with some of my personal favorite tales. These are stories that have shaped, changed, and morphed in society since the dawn of time. And even though they've changed, they've managed to find ways to haunt us to this day. Hmm. And let's be honest, turn us on. Tune in next week for our episode on monsters. Ah! Remember, don't be afraid to ask questions to get the whole story because you deserve that. And also join me over on my YouTube where you can watch these episodes on Thursday after the podcast airs. And while you're there, you can also catch my murder mystery and makeup. I'd love to hear your guys' reactions to today's story. So make sure to use the hashtag dark history over on social media so I can follow along. So um, now let's read a couple of comments that you guys left me. Yeah, leave a comment, I'll read it below. Destructor Cervantes, 9377. He has a very important question for me. Hey, I was wondering what's your favorite oatmeal? I like apple cinnamon. Oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Destructor, listen, I went through this period in my life where all I ate was oatmeal. Like I lived off of oatmeal. It was really all I could afford. Um, And brown sugar was my shit. And still to this day is my shit. Those little pre-packets. I didn't like apple cinnamon, that's nasty. But thanks for asking Destructor, love ya. Tiffany Bully 22631, hey left a comment on our fast food episode saying, White Castle burgers make me horny with all those little onions. Okay, Brave Forbes edits 2687 had an episode suggestion saying, you should do an Oregon Trail episode and an episode about the Orient Express. Ooh, both are huge interests for me. Although I think an Orient Express video would be great for winter. So maybe you could save it for them, end quote. I love these recommendations because growing up, when I was a kid, the Oregon Trail was my shit. That's the hardest game you would ever play. I don't think I've ever beat it. I never gotten that far, like dysentery, whatever. Everyone died, everyone starved. It was hard. But then I had to remind myself like, Oh, yeah, this literally happened to people in history. Like, that sucks, too. Anyways, so yeah, I'll write it down for sure. I think that'd be a great idea. Thank you for your recommendation. Dark History is an audio boom original. This podcast is executive produced by Bailey Sarian. Hi, Junia McNeely from Three Arts, Kevin Grush, and Matt Enlow from Maiden Network. A big thank you to our writers, Joey Scavuzzo, Katie Burris, Allison Filobos, and me, Bailey Sarian. Production lead, Brian Jaggers. Research provided by Xander Elmore and the Dark History Researcher Team. Special thanks to our expert, Leonid Trofimov. You can read all about Rasputin in his book, Seven Myths of the Russian Revolution. And I'm your host, Bailey Sarian. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You make good choices, and I'll be talking to you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.